Welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Shelley Craft. As I've got older, I've come to realise we all need advice when it comes to aging well. So for season one of the show, I've pulled together the best possible support team for us. Doctors, researchers, coaches and creatives. Nothing is off limits. Food and nutrition, movement and mobility, menopause and gut health. Finding a sense of meaning. I want to cover it all. I believe with the Aging Project community banded together, our choices will be infinitely better, more informed, more considered. So if, like me, you believe Aging Well starts now, then let's get going and start learning from some of the best. Welcome to today's episode. Exactly things like friendship, optimism, kindness, uh, being engaged in your community, finding meaning in life, that these kind of things were at least as important as diet and exercise. And there, were so, there was so much research on it. I was really surprised to see how much. That was Marta Zariska. In today's conversation, you will hear just how important friendship, optimism and kindness are to ageing well. We often focus on diet and exercise, but Marta's research suggests our thinking habits and social connections matter so much more than we realise. Enjoy today's episode and don't forget to stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook. We love seeing and sharing the changes you're making, so remember to tag us at The Aging Project. Now let's start chatting about this fabulous book that you've had out now for almost a year, Growing Young, How Friendship optimism and kindness can help you live to a hundred. I love hearing these words because ultimately we'd love to think that that was the key. And now you're telling me that science says, yes, this is the key. Yes. I mean, it is. I mean, loneliness is one of the most important thing, you know, that's the social connection is one of the most important things that we can do for our health. And science shows that it may be even more important than diet and exercise, or at least as important as diet and exercise. It's music to my ears, Marta, as someone who um, always tries to look on the bright side of life. But as a science journalist, obviously, you've done so much research on all of those other things, as you say, diet and exercise. How did you stumble across the fact that kindness and friendship uh, were one of those things that really is now part of science? I mean, I've been working on these topics for many, many years. I write for the Washington Post, for Scientific American, but... um, in the past, I was usually addressing the issues of health from the usual perspective, meaning diet and exercise. And this was also what I was doing in my private life, especially when my daughter was born. I started really, you know, going into it with all the healthy cooking and making sure our, our family was moving around enough. And But then um, I started researching my my new book um which is called growing young how friendship optimism and kindness can help us live to 100 and i mean it didn't start with the title it started more as a guide of what parents can do to uh to help their kids live longer it is not a parenting book anymore at all but this was the initial idea and um so i started researching exactly what i can do to make sure that my daughter will live healthy and long and i came across a lot of research that was quite surprisingly for me because it started showing that exactly things like friendship, optimism, kindness, uh, being engaged in your community, finding meaning in life, that 
these kind of things were at least as important as diet and exercise. And there were so there was so much research on it. I was really surprised to see how much. So in the end, to write the book, I, I read over 600 research papers and I talked to dozens of scientists. So, so there is a really this huge body of research out there that is somehow overlooked in the popular media and in the popular culture. And, uh, and this is why I wrote this book and, and it did change also the way I, I live my life in my everyday, the everyday life, because I'm not so obsessed about diet and exercise anymore. And we still eat healthy and we exercise, but not in an obsessive way. And we pay much more attention into how socially connected we are and how, how, what kind of mental habits we have as well. I mean, that's exactly my idea. And, you know, there is just so much monetary interest out there for to sell us diets and exercise, right? There are all this, uh, not only companies selling you stuff, you know, the supplements and healthy foods and new healthy fancy products and, you know, exercise gadgets. You have also influencers on social media who are getting, you know, promotional samples of everything and pushing these things on people. And there is no money to be made in you going for a walk with your friend or, I don't know, feeding stray cats in your community. Like, really, there is, there is nothing for anyone in it <laughs> other than yourself and, the, and your community. But nobody's making money on it. We hear so much, obviously, about what those things do do for us from the inside, you know, the release of this hormone and this feel-good hormone that we have in our body when we do exercise. But being kind can release exactly the same hormones and, and you know your serotonins and your oxytocins than just going for a run i mean very similar hormones yes so so you, we have all this kind of social hormones as you've mentioned most of them already so oxytocin serotonin endorphins vasopressin as well and these are hormones that get released when we are basically with other people so for example there is the most famous one so the oxytocin so-called laugh hormone which you get when you're holding hands with your beloved person or we are hugging someone or even if you when you're staring into the dogs or into the eyes of your beloved dog uh, and also you have for instance um endorph uh, so you have endorphins as well so you you get them both when you're exercising but also when especially when you're exercising with other people so research shows that doing exercise synchronously with other people so for instance uh, rowing with other people or line dancing or things like that jogging with your body actually releases double the amount of endorphins that you get just by doing oh my the things. God. Yeah. So you get double the benefit, right? So there is also serotonin. And all the thing is this, all these hormones on the one hand, they make you feel socially engaged, make you feel connected to other people, loved and warm and fuzzy. But on the other hand, they also have direct effects on your body. So for instance, oxytocin has anti-inflammatory properties. It helps our um, bone growth. Uh, serotonin has impact on the liver. Endorphins are natural painkillers. Right, so all these things are on one hand connecting our social life, but also having direct impact on our on our physiology. That is amazing. So just by being a good person, you're actually going to live a lot longer. Hopefully, that's the idea. That is that is what the title is about. It's uh, you know some people think that growing young means that they are going to become younger, but actually, what I meant by this is as a that by growing as a person, mm -hmm. uh, you will be, be longer, healthier, and live longer. So growing younger is kind of a play on the on the words here about be, becoming a better person. I love it. This should be like a Bible, really. And look, if you're touching on, on religion, I guess there are some religions that have used this as their mantra for a long time. You know, Buddhism is all about that, really, without diving too deeply into it. It's just about... Um, feeling good from the inside out and doing good things and being 
good people. I mean, you ha- definitely have Buddhism, right? So, and just, I mean, I think all religions, somewhere deep under all the kind of, you know, uh, things that differentiate them, but somewhere at the core, exactly, it's about being good people, about being social people, about helping others, right? This is a huge thing for most religions. And, and there is so much research showing that volunteering, donating money, uh, engaging in a community, are actually things that are especially good for our health. So, for instance, volunteers, you know, they have uh, they have uh, lower inflammation levels. They have uh, they spend uh, about uh, 37% fewer nights in hospitals than people who don't volunteer. So you really see there are huge benefits and, and they live longer as well. So, for instance, you know, if you volunteer, studies show that your mortality rate, so like to, to make it simple, the risk of dying earlier than you normally would, is about 22% lower than oh. if you don't volunteer. And eating six portions of ve- vegetables and fruits a day gives you about 21%. So so this is extremely similar, right? So so you can Ooh. see that both, of course, eating healthy is important, but if you, if you volunteer as well, do you have double the benefits, basically. There are obviously places in the world that do it better than others. Um, I was lucky enough in my travel days to go to Bhutan, and that's a country that actually measures their wealth on their gross national happiness, which I thought when I was there was just the most beautiful concept. It wasn't about, you know, obviously having uh, the most amazing house, cars, cities. It was just about the whole country being happy, and that's what their leader was trying to achieve in everything that he did. Oh, yeah. And, you know, happiness, optimism adds you about 10 years of life. So it's definitely something to something worth striving for. It definitely more than, you know, any dietary supplements, which basically mostly don't work for the best. Some of them are actually bad for you. So but so, you know, optimism, happiness are definitely things to to try to achieve. And and it is something also you can work on. So, you know, people sometimes say I was born pessimistic. So basically, that's the way I am. This in my genes. But even though it is a little bit in your genes, mm-hmm. uh, you still have a great, great area for improvement. It's a little bit the same, you know, personality and optimism and things like that are a little bit similar to exercise. You know, not everybody's born with huge muscles and potential for being an Olympic athlete. I certainly wasn't. Uh, but it doesn't mean I don't exercise anyway, right? That I don't try because you still try to improve, even though your base may not be perfect, right? So it's the same with optimism. Even if you are born a little bit more gloomy, you know, by because of your genes, you can still strive to become more optimistic. It can you really greatly improve. It's still greatly improve. So you're saying just fake it till you make it. Just pretend that you're an optimistic person and it'll kick in eventually. It does work. There is research showing exactly this kind of interventions when people have to, you know, every single day they have to do some tiny little thing. So, for instance, if you are uh, not optimistic, you can try, I don't know, smiling at a stranger or something. Like just small, small things. And the same for conscientiousness. Conscientiousness is another personality trait that is very much linked to uh, longevity and health. This is this kind of trade when you keep your desk neat and tidy, you show up on time for meetings, pay your bills on time, stuff like that. And it actually is very, very important for your health as well. And uh, and there was this great intervention in which scientists basically made people do tiny little things every day. So they, they would one day, they had to just make their bed in the morning 
right? Or the next day they would have to, I don't know, straighten their shoes in front of, in, you know, in their cupboards, really tiny things. And over, I think it was about six to eight weeks, they had great improvements in their conscientiousness. So it's just like with exercise, you do small things and you slowly improve. And of course you have to keep going, you cannot just, you know, let it go afterwards, but, uh, <laughs> but it's the same, the same concept. And what about friendships? Obviously, there's many different levels of friendship. Where does, I guess, the most value come from in a friendship? I mean, it's actually quite simple. So when the researchers study friendship and their imp- its impact on health, and it is huge, uh, then uh, then you, what you, they usually ask people is uh, whether you feel that there is someone in your life uh, whom you can always trust and whom you can always count on, whom you can always call if you have problems, someone who will, I don't know, show up with a Zoom if you're sick and, and help you out, right? So if you have someone like this in your life, this basically means that you have this most important connection and this most important friendship, right? And so this is a quite a simple, in a way, uh, thing, you know, as long as you feel that you have the support, uh, that's all you need, right? Uh, of course, there is a different second layer of just being generally connected. And this is also important. So on one hand, it's very important to have this kind of at least one really, really good friend on whom you can count. And then being generally connected to your community, to having friends, it doesn't necessarily mean I mean, it doesn't at all actually mean being extroverted because, you know, being extroverted means that you are very happy being at the center of a big party, you know, having, you know, lots of people at the same time. And this is not required. You don't have to have all these people at the same time in your house, right? Uh, so you can you can have a lot of one-on-one high-quality connections, which is what introverts, uh, introverts like. Because, you know, introverted doesn't mean asocial, right? So it just means that you don't like big groups or, you know, just too much, too much of a crowd. Um, uh, and um, and uh, and it's important to have those connections as well, this kind of other connection. So also what scientists do when they try to establish whether people have enough of that kind of uh, social connectedness, they ask people to name how many people they talk to uh, at least, for example, every, every week or every month, right? So in one study, for instance, I remember there was each month, if you talk to about 20 people and not like just hello, good morning, but kind of really connected with, with 20 people, then, then it means that you are very socially connected. So that was, for instance, one cutoff. So to just to give you an idea what's, uh, what they mean or how many neighbors you can name, right? And, and we know, for instance, then in Australia, it's not that that well going that well because I, I read one survey uh, recently which showed that thirty uh, percent of Australians cannot name even a single neighbor and this is something that's it's a signal that something is not going well. We have haven't we? we've got a long way from from where we began obviously as as a human. Um, living in small communities or whether it be nomadic tribes, whatever it was, it was always about sticking together. And it seems like we've done everything in our power to become as disconnected as possible. I mean, definitely the trends are not the best. And as you said, you know, we evolved to be very social. And the, the reason exactly why there exist all these connections between uh, between our social life and our longevity and health is exactly because we evolved to be social apes, just like chimpanzees, for instance, right? They always are with their tribe and this is when our bodies function the best we basically at the most basic we feel safe when we are with 
our tribe. And when we are outside, this is a signal to our body that things are going badly, that you may be injured, you may be wounded, for instance. This is our why our inflammation goes up when we are lonely, because our body interprets loneliness as a signal that we are stranded alone on the savanna, and there is a very big risk that you will get wounded or attacked by a lion, let's say, and wounds mean bacteria, and bacteria are fought by inflammation. So your body apps inflammation in preparation for being wounded and physically wounded, right? Not kind of your heart being wounded, but physically wounded. And of course, it makes no sense when you live, uh, you know, in in uh, in 21st century or in some kind of urban areas. Uh, but our body just you know didn't get the memo it still thinks that loneliness being it means being kicked out of your tribe and you know wandering alone isn't that crazy because it must just be so innate in our makeup whereas we've evolved in so many other ways um but that one has remained so strong that that's crazy I mean, you know, in general, I mean, our bodies did get changed since the agrarian revolution, but very, very little, right? So we still function mostly the way we lived exactly as hunter-gatherers and uh, and um, the way we live our fast-paced modern lives, you know, glued to our smartphones. It's just something that our body doesn't know how to deal with. Is, is that a connection? I mean, I know we, we talk about it with our kids, put the phone down, put the phone down. Is that classified as a scientific connection being on the phone to someone or or uh, engaging with someone through social media is that even a remote concept that as again as parents we should be saying you know it's not so bad or is it just not even a connect is there a complete disconnect with a screen in front of you like this I mean, it's bad. <laughs> so we definitely should be saying, don't do that. Uh, I mean, on one hand, studies show that so-called Facebook friends or, you know, the social media friends are just not real friendships. It just doesn't give you the same benefits at all. So the only people who can can benefit from being connected on social media or Facebook and stuff are people who otherwise cannot connect in person. So, for instance, people who are disabled or people who are extreme agoraphobic. So they they just won't otherwise connect in person with people or when we are in a lockdown right so then then being on social media on facebook is good for you but if you are like most people and you can just go out and actually meet people in person then connecting on facebook is just replacing something real and this is this is definitely bad for you and there's lots of research on it already and on the other hand also when we meet with other people in person and we do what even scientists now call fubbing which from phone and snubbing so basically looking at your phone and uh instead of the other person you know paying attention to the phone instead of talking and mm-hmm. connecting, this really has very bad impacts on the relationship. There is so much research showing that the other person will perceive the quality of the relationship mm-hmm. as lower if the other, if you have your phone even out. You don't even have to look at it, but even just putting it on the on the yeah. table between the two of you, it will already impact the, how the relationship is perceived and uh, that it's kind of somehow lower quality. So really just, just, just put the phone So out. there's your first act of friendship and kindness when you're meeting up with your friends is leave your phone in yes. your handbag or put it on the you know under your bum you just don't need to have it out on the table and that's as you say a beautiful sign of respect too for the time that you are getting to share with someone actually there is again research on it showing that if you actively show that you are you know 
turning your phone away and putting it away, then the other person will actually perceive the relationship as even better than they would normally if the phone wasn't, if you didn't do this act of showing, okay, look, I'm taking my phone, I'm turning it off just for you because exactly it's perceived as you really value the relationship. You really value the connection with the other person so much that you will turn off your phone. So if friendships and actual connections are so important to our well-being and our health and obviously our, our now our longevity, then the opposite much have must have huge detrimental effects to all of those things. So as we touched on, loneliness is obviously something that is terribly bad for our health. I mean, it definitely is. You know, people who are lonely, they, for instance, they have a different gene expression when it comes to cancer. They have uh, shorter telomeres, so these protective caps at the ends of your chromosomes that pay, play, their, uh, play a very important role in aging. Uh, they are about two and a half to three times more likely to die prematurely than people who are not lonely. So, so these are really, really huge things. And, you know, at the same time, uh, again, you know, so many Westerners are reporting loneliness uh you know for instance i think then in 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 australia as far as i remember uh yes it was one in four australians are report to feel lonely in any given week and this is data from before the pandemic so you can really see that things were really not going well even before then. So one in four, this is huge, right? So uh, this is why, you know, many governments are starting to recognize loneliness as a health, public health issue. For instance, in, in the UK, they already have a minister for loneliness uh, because they, they know that dealing with loneliness will really benefit public health and cast, cut the costs of public health as well because it is a really big issue, just like obesity or smoking. There is also the pandemic uh, epidemic of loneliness. So it's not just being alone. You talk about the three dimensions of loneliness. It's not just being so isolated uh, in your own home, like a lot of people have experienced, as you say, during this pandemic, but there's other levels of loneliness. I mean, so there is difference between isolation and loneliness. So you can, so loneliness is the feeling that you have no one to talk to. Isolation is means you really don't have anyone to talk to, right? So, uh, so, and they are both detrimental to health. If you have both, so you're think you don't have anybody to talk to and you really don't have anybody to talk to, this is the worst thing, right? Because you can imagine a scenario when somebody feels there is no one for them, so they feel lonely. But in reality, there are people who really would help this person, but this person just doesn't realize that. So this is not as bad as actually having, you know, the the real loneliness, I mean, the real isolation and the feeling of loneliness. Also, of course, there is something else as being alone and and being fine with it. But, uh, you know, you can have alone times, but as long as you have alone times but you still you know know a lot of people and talk to them often and you know that you have friends who are there for you then then some alone time is fine but if you only are having alone time then this is this is, this is not good. there's a great initiative that started here through feros care which um started in old age care but now looks after people that and it is it's called be someone for someone and it sort of crosses all these levels of, of course, your acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, perhaps reach out through an organisation to be there for someone that perhaps doesn't have family or friends that they can reach out to and are feeling extremely isolated. Um, I think that's a wonderful initiative that's kicked off here. But having a minister for loneliness, that's, that's next level altogether, isn't it? Every country should have one of those. 
<laughs> Probably, yes, but the, the initiative does sound very good. And, you know, it seems that it's connecting also two important things. So both social connection and kindness in one. So which could be, you know, double benefits again. Um, you know, kindness is so powerful. You know, we talked about volunteering, like formal volunteering, how it is important for health, but even random acts of kindness. So there's really small things that you can do for other people, you know, just uh, opening doors for someone or letting someone in, in ahead of, in traffic. Uh, these kind of things can also have powerful effects on health. So there was one experiment when scientists randomized people into uh, two different groups. And one of the group, one, one group was uh, to just lead their life as normal. And the other group was to uh, do this kind of acts of kindness on everyday basis uh, for six weeks. So they had a list of suggestions, for instance, exactly like, you know, buy a coffee for a stranger, you know, pick up trash in your neighborhood, you know, just really small things. But they also could come up with their mm-hmm. own ideas, of course. And after six weeks, uh, the scientists measure, measured um, gene expression in, in their white blood cells. And they discovered that those people who were conducting these acts of kindness had different exactly gene expression. So such a basic, you know, on such basic physiological, physiological level uh, when it comes to inflammation. So, so which, and inflammation, of course, is connected to all these diseases of uh, of uh, modern life, like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, even cancer. And uh, so even conducting this kind of very simple acts of kindness over a few weeks can give you a huge boost uh, in, uh, on, in your health. So you say when you're driving and you let someone in, you can practice your optimism as well. So rather than perhaps reacting in a not so positive manner, you can use this as a random act of kindness and let them in the traffic in front of you <laughs> and actually embrace that and as something good you for yourself <laughs> rather than the other way around how we sometimes feel. I mean, it's good for everyone right so you're doing something kind to the other person and the funny thing is that that people you know kindness tends to spread so when you do something kind the the other person is much more likely to do something kind to, a, to another person as well there was this uh, really cool story uh that happened in canada um in um in winnipeg uh and there was uh, a drive-through of Tim Hortons, which is you know the Canadian Starbucks kind of thing, and um, one driver paid for uh, for the coffee or the meal of a driver behind him. So he just basically said, "Okay, I'm paying also for the guy behind me," and uh, the guy behind him got so grateful that he paid for the guy behind behind him, and the chain went for 263 cars. Can we talk a little bit about companion animals? Because I know, um, obviously, when you are lonely or perhaps you you don't live in a community. Or- or with a family, that animals um, have become such a huge part of perhaps tempering that loneliness or dampening that feeling of loneliness. Why, why is that? I mean, they can. I mean, uh, mostly dogs. The research is generally on dogs. And it they, does show that connecting uh, with your dog, so, you know, petting your dog can, you know, pamper stress and uh, exactly looking into your dog's eyes can give you both a boost of oxytocin, so this laugh hormone. Uh, so dogs can give you some kind of relief from loneliness but you also have to be careful not to rely too much on them because they do not replace humans so you know if people think that you know i can have a dog and that's fine i uh, you know i don't need friends that's unfortunately not sure right so you still have to go out and you still have to make a connection with humans the dogs can give you just a little bit of benefit but it's uh, it's not a replacement uh, for a connection with humans and the problem is also that uh, loneliness 
has this kind of nasty side effect that it changes your perception of other people. So if you are chronically lonely, um, you see others differently. There is lots of research showing that, for instance, uh, you will stand further away from people. You you feel they you think they are feel they are, that they are perceiving you worse than they really are. So you kind of turn on you put this kind of uh, dark glasses on or something, you know, just see the world as a, a more negative place when you're lonely. And this is a trap It's that's hard to overcome. So you have to really put an effort into, into, um, into coming out of loneliness. It's not, once it becomes chronic, right? So it's much better to stop it before it can, becomes really chronic. Um, and again, there are lots of books that can help you with that, but you have to realize that um, that, uh, that loneliness, it is this kind of trap that may be hard to get out of. Marta, it's amazing that all the things that we have spoken about today have now been absolutely justified as science. And you've done all that research for us and put it into one fabulous book, which of course is available, uh, Growing Young. And I just love that whole concept of the fact that just being a good person and putting out good vibes in this world is going to help us all live a lot longer than we we thought it would. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, when you're talking about the science, you know, it's just it's been around for quite a while. I was actually surprised how much science was and how much research there was on it, how and how long has it been going on already? It's been, you know, some of it started in the 50s and 60s. Uh, it just really hasn't been covered before again because of you know the nobody has an interest in it. Um, so so that was something quite surprising for me. Well, it's a great motivation for us just to be better people, be more optimistic, be that little bit more kind and go out and pay it forward. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I hope my chat with Marta made you feel as motivated to do something good in the world as it did for me. So I'm going to find a volunteer project. I am going to make a new friend. And this week, I am also going to pay it forward. Let us know what you're up to at The Aging Project. We'll speak to you soon. Stay in touch. Bye. The Aging Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.